Indeed, our soul longs for the living God, and we come in this time to open His Word and to apply it to our lives. And as we come, we are back in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We began two weeks ago studying through this book, and we said that this book really has a theme that could say that the passing of the torch from one generation of Christian leaders to the next generation following in the Christian faith. We pictured Paul as, a, as running a long-distance marathon. He runs the marathon, and upon c- completing the tour of the marathon, he doesn't just collapse on the ground, but he actually sprints back to young Timothy, comes alongside Timothy, and speaks a word to him and says, Listen, Timothy, come on, you can do it. You can do it. Keep going. Be strong. You can make it. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Keep going, Timothy. Keep living for God. We picked, indeed, we understand that Paul is in a, he's uh, chained in the midst of a Roman prison under the cruel madman Nero in AD 67, and he is waiting, awaiting his sure and certain execution, and yet he's not slinking around. He's not slouching. He's not sulking over the difficulties of life. He is encouraging and exhorting Timothy to endure and to exert himself for the glory of God. We said in verses 1 through 5 that we see there a firm foundation, a faithful ministry that rest on knowing God's call on your life through the gospel. And that gospel foundation brings two realities. First of all, it brings the reality that we are under the headship, under the watchful care of our God and Savior, of our King and Master. In other words, the gospel brings us into a close relationship with God Himself. But it also brings us into a close personal relationship with others within the church. And that is a huge help in our midst of midst of the need. This week, Paul comes and he turns around and he begins to show what it means to be a discipler, to be an encourager, to be a mentor in the Christian faith as he sets in order the approach that a Christian leader is to have in the course of life. He lays out for Timothy how he is to see life and approach life. And as we come this morning, I simply want to ask you as we begin, what are you doing to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ? What is your perspective on life? How do you live? How do you see yourself in the midst of the hands of the master? Are you useful to the master? Or are you floundering? Indeed, we ought to ask, how are we fulfilling the great commission by taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? How are we fulfilling the Great Commission by taking the gospel to our community? How are we fulfilling the Great Commission by taking the gospel to our homes? Indeed, we ought to be fulfilling the Great Commission. But the question is, how are we doing it? Are you increasing in your own faith? Are you increasing in your own understanding of Scripture, in your application of Scripture to your life? Are you living differently today than you were a week ago, than you were two weeks ago, a month ago, a year ago, ten years ago? Indeed, if you are a Christian and you are growing in an active relationship with Jesus Christ, you should be devoting yourself to studying and applying the Scriptures to your life daily. And indeed, this week, your life should look differently than it did a year year ago and 10 years ago what is your greatest concern what is your greatest concern for yourself and for those around you 
to know God and to serve Him and to worship Him with all of your strength, all of your might, all of your being? Or is it simply to be comfortable? Parents, what's your goal for your children? For them not to embarrass you? Too bad. What's your goal for your children? What is your greatest desire? That they would grow up and get a good education and go get a good job and a good career and have a good marriage and have a happy life? Or is it that they would be servants of the Most High as they surrender their souls to Jesus Christ and taste and experience salvation and live a life of consequence in the midst of this world? What is your greatest desire for those whom you love the most? A farmer had a team of horses And he would often refer to those team of horses and uh, everybody that observed the horses automatically knew that there was one horse that was uh, pulling harder and working harder than all the rest. And when asked about it, the farmer looked and he said, well, see, all the horses are willing. One's willing to work and the others are willing to let him. The reality is in the church, that same principle applies. We often refer to what is called the 80-20 rule. 80% of people are sitting in the pews while 20% are serving. And indeed, we need to see and understand that is not the way God designed the gospel-centered church to work. God never intended it to be that way. He intended that all who He saved would then serve Him faithfully within gospel ministry there are many reasons that christians do not serve the lord some don't serve because their commitment to christ and his church is half-hearted they would rather be out playing and going all around and seeing all matter of things and they have many other things that distract them and deter them indeed they attend church some but their real interests are in the world and they show it because what they love most is sports shopping and the stuff in this world. Serving in the church would be an inconvenience for this group. Others have tried serving, but they quit because they lack training and and they grew frustrated in their endeavors. Some quit because there are other church members who have given them a hard time because other church members have criticized what they have done. And so they say, well, if you're going to criticize me, I'm just going to quit. That's not a good thing because indeed, if that were the case, all four of your pastors would quit this week. Others burned out because they were trying to do too much. They were trying to carry 80% of the load with only 20% of the people. Some quit serving because they were serving out of the wrong motivation. They wanted recognition from people and not recognition from God. Indeed, there are many who grow weary in serving the Lord in retreat to simply sitting on the sidelines, soaking in the sermons. And guess what? souring in their Christian life. Is that you this morning? Have you chosen to simply sit on the sidelines, soak in the sermons, and then sour in your Christian life? Or have you chosen to exert yourself, to participate, to run the race, to get in the race, and to participate with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, so that God might be glorified and the world might hear the gospel through you? 
Indeed, as Paul sat chained in the Roman jail awaiting execution, he knew that he had to hand the torch off to Timothy. And so he writes this final letter of encouragement to Timothy to keep running the race in spite of difficulties and opposition. His words here in this passage should encourage any of us who may be tempted to draw back from actively sharing the Lord, to persevere, to exert ourselves diligently. This book exhorts all who know Christ but are now not serving to get involved to step up and step out and to live by faith and to to do the work of the gospel ministry in verses 6 through 11 paul is encouraging timothy to continue serving the lord with all of his strength in spite of the trials tribulations and troubles of life his flow flow of thought is like this in verses 6 and 7 he simply says timothy because you are saved you are to serve the living god in verse 8 he turns and says when you serve you can be prepared to suffer and then in verses 9 through 11 he comes back and says but when you suffer you remember the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ your savior who suffered in your place at the cross of Calvary and you remember him and look at him and remember that he has called you to preach the gospel the theme here is even if you suffer even If you suffer for serving Christ, do not be ashamed of the gospel or those who preach the gospel. The clear call is to have the highest commitment and objective for those that follow us to serve, love, serve, and worship God above anything or anyone else. Indeed, we are saved to serve. And we see in this passage today that it is a challenge for each one of us to step up, to step out, and to work diligently in the gospel ministry so that God's gospel might go forward in our homes, in our church, in our community, and in our world. Let's stand now as we honor in honor the reading of God's holy word. As we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, that we are saved to serve. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, for this reason... I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love. And of discipline. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask now that you would guard us and guide us as we study your word, lead us to understand it and to apply it faithfully into our lives. And Father, may you be honored and glorified by everything that we say and everything that we do. And Father, we ask that as we come under the teaching of your word, that you would allow it to change our hearts and lives in such a way that we would go out of this place differently than we came in. Father, we would be committed, devoted to serving you in everything. And Father, looking to you as a source of strength to provide the endurance as we go through this life. Father, we ask now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
We see in this passage that God's salvation brings a new reality to the, the Christian that enables faithful service even in difficult circumstances. Indeed, God, we see here in this passage that when we are saved by God and by His grace, He brings within our hearts, within our lives, a new reality, a new approach, a new perspective so that we might be faithful in our Christian service even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Larson, in his commentary, says it this way, God has equipped every believer to be useful and productive in Christian living, and His Spirit enables us in whatever task God gives. We see there that God has equipped each and every believer to be useful and productive in Christian living. His Holy Spirit enables us in whatever task God gives. And so as we come this morning, we are going to have two approaches as we break down this, this passage and see how it tells us to approach life within this world. First of all, we're going to see that every Christian is to cultivate God's gifts by which we minister. But second of all, we are going to see every Christian is to consider God's resources by which we minister. Every Christian is to cultivate God's gifts by which we minister, but also every Christian is to consider God's resources by which, we, uh, by which we minister. And so let us start with verse 6. And there in verse 6, Paul says, For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In this verse, we see Paul exhort Timothy to activity and exertion for the sake of the kingdom. He begins with the phrase, for this reason. Now, for this reason obviously refers back to the end, to the end of verse five. Indeed, this refers back to the fact that there is within Timothy and within every true Christian a sincere faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel. The product of sincere faith in Christ is what? Is faithful service. And the faithful service, indeed, the heart of faithful service is using our God-given gifts for the furtherance of His kingdom. So it sort of flows like this. First of all, there's a sincere faith in Christ and in His gospel. Because there's sincere faith in Christ and His gospel, there ought to be faithful service in our lives. And that faithful service at the heart of it is the empowering, the, the empowering of God's gifts that He brings to bear in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 tells us, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, all these spiritual gifts, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Now that means very simply and very bluntly, if you're a Christian and you're sitting here today, you have a spiritual gift. When you are converted at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your life and He gives you a spiritual gift. And it says He gives everyone according to what? According to His will. And so God has a plan. He has a place for you to serve Him. I want to ask, do you know what that place is? Are you even worried about finding that place? If not, you need to consider again, do I have the Holy Spirit of God living within me? Has He gifted me to serve in some capacity? The answer is, yes, He's gifted you to serve. The question now becomes, where has He gifted you to serve? What has He gifted you to do? 
the point of this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, is to show that every true believer has been gifted for a given ministry to expand God's kingdom. Even me? Yes, especially you. I mean, just look at who Paul's writing to. This isn't like, you know, Adrian Rogers or some guy like that. This is Timothy. Shy Timothy, young Timothy, this guy doesn't have the booming voice of God when he stands in the pulpit. This is the guy that wanted to run away, wanted to throw in the towel, wanted to stop the race. Yes, Timothy, you, God has saved you, God has gifted you, God has called you to be an under-shepherd under the great shepherd. Timothy, step out, step up. This shows us that we must, this passage also shows us that we must cultivate the gifts that God has given. The gifts that God has given. This exhortation shows that the gift for service given to us by God does not operate automatically. This is an autopilot. You don't just get saved and then say, all right, well, from here on out, I'm just flying and, you know, we'll see what happens. That's spiritual suicide. You're never going to be happy. You're never going to say, God, I'm doing exactly what God has gifted me and wants me to do. Paul's illustration, the language that he uses is literally the language of fire. God has given this gift. It's a blaze within your heart. Notice it's God's gift. Yes, it was, it was seen and recognized and it was, it was set apart. Through the laying on of hands, if we remember 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, that's the ordination, the commissioning of Timothy. But understand, this is something God has given to Timothy. Timothy, now you kindle it. You keep it. You keep that fire ablaze. You tend that fire. You make sure to stoke it and keep it going. It's like those that have been given the gift of strength and they desire to become a great athlete. What do they need to do? They need to lift weights and to train their body with endurance so that they may attain that those those uh, positions that they have desired. Maybe someone has been given the gift of speed and they are naturally fast. If they're going to compete and run in the races, they must practice, they must train, and they must run in order to further their endurance and to increase their speed. Indeed, if someone has been given the gift of musical talent and they play the piano or the viola or the violin, maybe they have been given the gift of singing. Indeed, you don't want me to sing for you. But what in the world, if they have been given those gifts, are they to do? They are to train themselves. They are to discipline themselves. They are to increase those gifts that they naturally have. Paul is saying the Spirit has gifted you, Timothy. The elders at Lystra, the church at Lystra, no doubt saw these gifts. We have set you apart to minister. Now, Timothy, you don't sit back and let go. You exert yourself. You be active. You step up and you stepped out. Indeed, you cultivate those gifts. You kindle that fire. You stoke it. You keep it going. You fan it into flame, Timothy. The Christian life, listen, is not sitting back, letting go and letting God. How many of you have ever heard that saying? Maybe even we've been guilty of saying it. That's not the approach of a biblical perspective on the Christian life. We don't sit back, let go, and let God. 
Yes, we understand God is in control, and so we don't worry about the outcome because all the outcome is in His hand. But we are not simply letting go. The Christian life is active service and cultivating the gifts and graces of God's kingdom. We do this through active growth in our Christian life. Well, Pastor, how do we do that? First of all, by prayer. Prayer to the Father, asking for Him to use us to increase our faith and to continue to stir up and to use us mightily within his gospel ministry our communication with god is prayer and that is the walkie-talkie that takes the communication from the front line of the fighting to the king's throne there in heaven and allows us to personally interact with our commanding king we need to be communicating with god on a daily basis praying that he would use us and strengthen us for his service. Second of all, we need to study and apply the scriptures faithfully. We need to consistently be getting into the word, reading and studying and understanding, applying it into our lives so that we might indeed continue to grow and to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we also need to be looking to for opportunities to serve areas where we are drawn to things that we like, Things that we excel at, we ought to be looking for those opportunities to serve Christ and His kingdom. Indeed, we ought to be listening to others when they say that they recognize gifts and talents and perspectives in us. We, when they come along and say, maybe this would be a good area for you to get involved with. Why don't you come and serve in this way? Then listen, maybe they see within us the gifts, the spiritual gifts of teaching or mercy or leading or giving or evangelism. Whatever it is, we need to be looking for an opportunity to serve and listening to others who would be encouraging us to serve. We are to kindle, cultivate, or fan into flame God's gifts in our lives. We see here that a man is not only what he owes to his parents, friends, and teachers in verses 1 through 5, but here we see that God, a man is what God himself has made him by calling him to some particular ministry and by endowing him with appropriate spiritual resources. Listen, God never calls you to a task that he does not fully prepare and equip you for. God never gives you a place, a ministry, a task to perform that he doesn't fully equip you and prepare you to perform. What is our number one concern in life? Where are we most concerned in life? It is blatantly obvious within our lives if we look. Are we concerned with lives of comfort that comfort and complacency? Or are we concerned, live lives that are concerned with God and his kingdom? Lives that love, serve, and worship God in all that we say and all that we do. Listen, we're called a spiritual ministry and that requires our spiritual resources, but those spiritual resources that God gives must be cultivated. They must be cultivated by prayer, must be cultivated by studying the word, must be cultivated by dependence upon God, must be cultivated by devotion in using those talents, must be cultivated by service to our great king. Christians must cultivate God's gifts by which we minister. But secondly, we see in verse 7, every Christian is to consider God's resources by which we minister. Every Christian is to consider God's resources by which we minister. Verse 7, Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. 
See, there are four qualities that Paul walks through here. And he says, if you were saved, if you had the Holy Spirit of God living within you, then these four truths are applicable to you. And you need to express your Christian gifts, your Christian, the gifts that God has given you. But you need to express them without timidity, but rather with power, with love and with discipline. First of all, he says, exercise your gifts without timidity. Let me ask you, anybody remember the Bob Newhart show? Anybody? A few of you. If you're under like 30, I mean, I'm 34 and I barely remember. I think it was Nick at night when I came along. Indeed. Bob Newhart was a struggling psychologist. He was always insecure about everything. But do you remember the character that was on that show that was even more insecure than Bob Newhart? And Bob Newhart was always trying to encourage him, trying to get him to step out and step up, to have more confidence and more boldness, to be more assertive. And he would tell them, listen, you don't have to apologize for everything to which the client would say, I'm sorry. You remember that? You don't have to apologize for everything. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I do wrong? That's not quite Timothy, but Paul says, listen, this should not characterize the Christian life. You should not be timid. You should not be fearful. You should not be secure. Why? Because you are secure to the sovereign God of the universe. Don't be timid. Don't step away. Timothy, you tend to shy away from conflict and from confrontation. But the fact is, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. And you don't win wars by being passive, do you? We're engaged in spiritual warfare and we don't win wars by being passive. We win wars by being active. We are not to be overwhelmed by our circumstances or our situations. We are to live in enduring knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. He is the sovereign of the universe and he is the Lord of my life. As such, I can live with confidence. Even when mean old Irene rages, even when an earthquake shakes the foundations of the building, even in the midst of the battles with health, even when I'm going through the darkest and most difficult, depressing days of life, I can have sure and sound confidence that I don't need to shrink away. I don't need to step back. I can go forward. I can look forward. I can walk out on faith because I serve the living God who is the creator, sustainer of all of the universe. And he is my Lord. I don't have to step back. And it's not confidence in myself. It's not assurance in myself. It's not asserting my own person. It is asserting the fact that I am the son of the most high. Exercise your gifts without timidity, but also exercise your gifts with power. This is not the power of the flesh as seen in worldly assertiveness training of our day. This is the power of the Holy Spirit resting on the truth of God's authoritative word. The aim of this power is not so that you can control others, not so that you can, you know, just grab the reins and hold them tight in your hands. Indeed, none of the ministries that we have and have been entrusted to are to be our ministries. They're to be God's ministries. We are not to hold the things so that we have power of the 
the aim of power is indeed to serve God and to further his gospel ministry. Listen, we should understand that you can help them. Our desire is to help others come under God's control to conquer sin and to heal broken lives and relationships. And so we can say that we are to live in the power of God. How do we do that? Where do we draw that confidence, that sure strength and confidence from? Well, in 1 John 4, 4, it says you are from God. The little children who are Christians, those who are true believers, you are from God and you have overcome them. Them who? The world. And what does he say? Because greater is he that is what? Within you than he that is within the world. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. Psalm 46.10 so it tells us of the power and the strength of God, the sovereignty of God. He is the one who harbors the heavens. He's the one that moves the mountain. He's the one that overflows the oceans. He is in control of all things. And at all times we are to be still and know that he is God. Know his power. And then live in his power. See, the gospel is the power of God to exercise God's gifts in God's ways. Our lives are to be useful vessels for God's gifts to be expressed within this world. And we are to exercise God's gifts in God's ways. We are to live, exercise our spiritual gifts with the power of God. Secondly, we are to exercise our spiritual gifts in love. Exercise our spiritual gifts in love. And see, love does what to power? It balances out power, doesn't it? Because now it's not a desire for us to have tight reins over everything. Now we see and understand that love balances power. And our desire is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And the second greatest commandment is likened to it when it says love others even as yourself. We are not to have a great desire to be powerful. We are to have a great desire to love God and to serve Him faithfully and to stand in His strength. Indeed, love also is opposed to fear because fear stems from self-love, from self-concern and self-protection. Biblical love is concerned for the spiritual well-being of others and the worship of the true and living God. Love for others will give you the boldness to overcome your fears so that you can speak to them about their need for Christ and their need to obey His Word, to live under the direction of his holy spirit love for god and love for others should be your motivation whenever you exercise your spiritual gifts and we look back at first john chapter four and we see again that he addresses that issue of love for one another in verses seven and following where he says beloved let us love one another for love is from god and everyone know who knows god Uh, Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What a powerful gospel. A gospel that takes us from being self-absorbed, self-interested people 
to people who make much of God and make much of others. Loving God because He first loved us, because He loved us enough to give Jesus Christ in our place, to suffer and die on the cross of Calvary, to pay the penalty of our sins, to bear God's wrath, God's justice, and God's judgment in our place, to be buried and then to rise again on the third day in glorious victory over sin, death, and hell, so that all those who would repent of their sins and place their faith in God would be made new, would now be sons and daughters of the Most High, not simply sinners separated from Him because of their own sinfulness and shame, Now we have a great God, a a loving God who has loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And now we are to love him so much that we give our lives for him. What a powerful, powerful approach to life. And let me just say, children, maybe adults, you can't say I love God and I hate my brother. Parents use that this week in the home. Verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he can see, cannot love God, who he cannot see. We must be people of love that are known by love. When we exercise our spiritual gifts, we are to exercise our spiritual gifts in love, but we are to exercise our spiritual gifts with discipline. This word occurs only here in the New Testament, and it, but it is a similar concept to self-control that we find in the fruits of the Holy, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-three. The nuance of this word used here is a meaning of sound mind controlling. Your your life so that you don't react in a sinful emotional outburst and so that you do not yield to the impulses of the flesh in other words listen he's saying here you should have a sound mind at all times in all places and let me just go ahead and get it out of the way because guess what kicked off this week college football season and we love college football well if you're from the true south you love college football here in north carolina they love college basketball but that's okay Isn't it amazing how passionate we get about college football and basketball teams? And we come and we we go to the games and we sit there and we watch a pigskin that has air filling it being run across a pasture, across a little chalk line, and everybody stands and yips and yells and yahoos. And then we come on Sunday and we sit here and we act like somebody stole our tongue. We can't even sing praises to God. We can't concentrate on God and His Word and the sermon that's being preached. And we stand up and we shout and we yell for a college football team or basketball team. And we sit as if We don't even care to worship the living God who saved our soul. Oh, that it weren't so. It was so beautiful this morning when the music stopped and you began to sing with just your voices. To hear the voices of God's people lifted before his throne. Indeed, We ought to love God more than we love anything in this world. And we ought to have a sound mind because when the college football team loses on Saturday, it shouldn't affect our worship on Sunday or our attitude through the rest of the week. That clear enough? Ladies, remind your husbands of that next week. Who's UNC playing next week? It may come sooner than you think. We need to understand. 
the workplace interaction, our family relationships, the relationship with our spouse, if we just fly off the handle at the drop of a hat so that we might intimidate the spouse or the kids, then we are not showing sound mind and sound judgment. If indeed they fly off the handle at us, we are, we are, they are not showing sound mind and sound judgment. So kids, listen, when your parents tell you no, and they say no for a legitimate reason, which you may or may not know when they say no and you throw a temper tantrum and kick and scream and call them every name in the book, you are actually showing that you are not yielding to the Holy Spirit and His leadership in your life. Be guarded on what you say and how you interact with your parents. In fact, the Scripture says, honor and obey your parents. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you here within this world. And so we understand and see that this uh, this sound mind ought to fill every area and aspect of our life. Sound mind and dis- self-discipline mean that we use the gifts that God has given us in sensible control manner in line with God's purposes to testify to the change that His gospel has brought in our hearts and lives. In other words, all of our words of our mouth and the works of our hands are to testify to God's amazing grace in Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 4-8. through 8. And I, if you don't have this underlined, in your Bible, I challenge you to underline it and to mark this. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses four through eight. This is a description of those who are living under the headship, lordship of Jesus Christ. It said in verse four, for by these he has granted to us his precious, magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those qualities yours. College students, when you go off to college, you can't live a double life. Oh, I'll I'll participate in drunkenness and drugs and debauchery while I'm there. But then when I come back, I'll act as if I'm living all high and holy. Listen, you can't live a double life. Second Peter chapter one, verses four through eight tells you, you ought to know and be increasing in these things. And if you are not increasing in these things you ought to question again has my soul been saved by almighty god am i serving him and living for him are my words and my works testifying that to the fact that i have surrendered all to jesus who has paid every debt and cleared me and cleansed me from my sin. Listen, we need the power of God with the word dunamis, the dynamite of God in our lives so that we might minister faithfully in his kingdom. We need to consider when we exercise our spiritual gifts that we are not to exercise them with with timidity, but rather we are to exercise our spiritual gifts with with what? With power, with love and with sound mind. Paul says, Timothy, because you were saved, you are to serve Jesus Christ. 
See, he's gifted you to serve him, but you've got to discover, you've got to develop, you've got to kindle, you've got to fan into flame those gifts that you are to exercise. This does not mean volunteering to do some job in the local church, although that very well could be a very practical application of this verse. Rather, it is an attitude, it is a mindset for the whole of the Christian life where you realize that because God has rescued you from death, from the penalty of sin and he- of, of, of sin in hell that you now are not your own you have been bought with a price you are the son a daughter of the most high and you are serving him living for him worshiping him in every aspect and area of your life so you don't just dabble at serving when it's convenient to you you're committed to serve christ because he gave his life on the cross for you A fitting illustration as we close this morning is the woman who the pastor was trying to persuade to teach a Sunday school class. This wasn't me and this wasn't in this church. I'll just let you know up front. But there was a pastor one time trying to persuade a woman to teach a Sunday school class. And she always had some excuse. There was always some reason that she couldn't participate, that she couldn't be a part of the ministries of the church. And she always had these reasons. And she always would say, well, I just don't want to be tied down pastor pastor looked and said the savior was nailed down to the cross of calvary to pay the penalty of your sins and you don't want to be tied down for him you don't want to give everything to him let me ask you very real very personal way are you living in the blessings and benefits of God's grace that flows from your from Jesus Christ being nailed to the cross of Calvary. Have you repented of your sins and surrendered yourself to him and to him alone and said, God, my life that I have is no longer mine, but it's yours. I'm going to serve you with every breath. Or are you still living for yourself? For your comfort and convenience. Second question is. If you've said that, God, I give all of my heart, all of my life to you. Where are you serving? What are you doing? How are you participating in the fulfillment of the Great Commission? Are you actually participating in the ministry of the gospel here in this church, here in the community, there in your home? What are you doing so that the gospel might go forward? Listen, as Christ has saved you, if Christ has saved your soul, then you are his servant. You are his slave. You serve him out of love, not out of guilt. You live in his power. You exercise sound judgment and a sound mind, self-discipline, so that you might serve him 24-7, always being aware of his great gift of salvation and the way that he has gifted you to further his kingdom and to further his church. Let me ask you this morning, where are you? What are you doing? How are you living for yourself and your stuff? Or are you living for your Savior and His kingdom as you serve Him? Father, we understand that Jesus paid it all. We ask this morning that as we prepare to go out, Father, we would come and kneel down and bow down and surrender our hearts afresh to You. Father, that we would look for places to serve. That we would be willing to step out, to step up, and to complete the Great Commission by evangelizing, 
our homes, our church, our community, and our world. And Father, for those who respond by receiving that invitation to come and worship Jesus, that we would make disciples of them each and every day. Lord, we thank you again for this time. We come now and we give ourselves unreservedly to you. And Father, if there's any decision that needs to be made this morning, whether that is to trust Jesus for the first time and to make that known publicly, or whether this morning it is simply to come and to bow down and to pray and to lay our lives down and ask that, Father, as we lay our lives down on the altar, that you would pick pick us up, fill us up, and send us out. Father, may you lead us and guide us in this time of decision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand now as we have our